appreciate it. All right. Well, how we doing, church family? Good. Ready to dive into God's Word? All right. Somebody like, I'm ready to dive into God's Word as long as it's not talking about giving. Oh, man, you talked about loving your enemies last week. Now you're going to talk about giving. Pastor, my toes need a break. And, um, and that's okay. And uh, maybe they'll get a little bit of a break as we uh, begin uh, this morning. We're in the series uh, called The Sermon on the Mount. This is part eight. We're talking about generosity here. And, uh, and, and what is the Sermon on the Mount? It is, if you will, the, the, the marching orders of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says every Christian, every person who claims the name of Christ is called a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And every kingdom has a way about it, a way that it works, a way of orienting itself, a way of behaving, if you will, a way of ethics. And, uh, and you even see from the, the, the picture there, and, and oftentimes we say Jesus came and he turned the world upside down. But we've been saying, no, no, that's not right. Sin came and turned the world upside down. Jesus came and God sent Jesus from heaven to help turn the world, help me, right side up. And so right side up living, living the way God intended us, is free from the love of money, free from the things that possess us, living in that freedom and walking with an open hand, walking in, in generosity and not being tied down to where our possessions actually end up possessing us. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so Jesus actually had a lot to say about money. And now I know that in, in times people have twisted the scripture and perhaps TV preachers or televangelists or whatever have twisted things and tried to confuse people because they got to get a new jet or something like that uh, crazy. And, uh, and many people say, well, I don't, I don't want to anything to do with giving because you know, there's corrupt people. And, um, and the reality is those corrupt people are going to stand before a holy God and give an account for their lives, right? And I just thank God that I'm only responsible for myself because I got enough of my own issues to worry about me and me standing before the Lord Then I got to worry about somebody else. And so the, the question for all of us today is, man, how is my generosity and, and how am I being tied to the things of the earth? Do my possessions possess me? Do they own me? Or am I able to, in the words of the great and deeply theological band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, am I able to give it away, give it away, give it away now? And, uh, and so that just let that uh, go through your minds as the sermon uh, progresses. And, uh, and, and, and if you just need a, a break from all my preaching, you can just reach over and touch your neighbor. In fact, let's practice it now. I appreciate Chris having us practice the eyes forward, ears open. I can never get it right, but I'm, I'm glad he does. It helps me pay attention. But you can reach over and touch your neighbor and tell them, give it away, give it away, give it away now. That's right. I know somebody just said, did, I, did we just sing Red Hot Chili Peppers in church? Something ain't right about that. You never know what might happen around here. So here's a couple things as, as we think about the things that Jesus had to say and how often he talked about money and giving and generosity. Here's just a few facts for you. Um, the word believe, right? It's a pretty important word when it comes to Christianity and to the faith. Believe in God. Believe. We find believe in the Bible 272 times. 272 times. You got that number in your mind? Then the word pray. Pray is something important. We've done a number of times this morning. We'll continue to do so. Pray is found 371 times in the Bible. Love, right? It's an important command. Right? 
The Bible says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we find the word love 714 times. But then when it comes to give and generosity, we find that 2,152 times. So for anybody who says, you know, Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about giving, so therefore pastors or churches shouldn't talk a whole lot about giving, well, they just haven't read their Bibles a whole lot. And here's the thing, because giving is really a reflection of our love for others. How many of you know that you can give without loving? Right? People give without loving all the time, right? Get out of my face, just stroke the check. I just wanna I, I don't want to look at you anymore and, and I just I, I, I give. But you can't truly love without giving. And what God wants to do is get to the heart of the matter. Do I have a generous heart? Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, if you were tracking along with us, one of the key points that Jesus said in the chapter before this was he said to me, he says, your righteousness has got to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, these super religious guys. These guys had it all figured out, at least the common people thought that. And Jesus said, your righteousness has got to exceed theirs. And the common people were like, how is that possible? And Jesus is really saying, because it's got to go more than just skin deep. And you see that here in this passage. Your righteousness has to go a lot more than just surface level righteousness. And so he's going to talk through that. I'm going to run you through a couple of quick scriptures just to show you some of the things that Jesus had to say about money. I'll go through them pretty quickly, and then we'll, we'll dive into Matthew here. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, I think David is back there with me. Mark 10, 21, Jesus told this to a rich young ruler who was trying to follow him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell all, your all you possess and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Luke 6, 20, he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Woe, woe to you rich, for you have received your consolation. Luke 14, 33, it says, Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 18, 25, he said, It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 15, he says, a person's life does not consist in the possessions that he has. Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Luke 12, 33 says, sell your possessions, give alms, and provide for yourselves purses in heaven. And then as he told a a parable about a poor widow who put in two small copper coins, just less even than a penny. He said to her in Luke 21, he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Speaking of all the other people who are putting in large amounts, he says, This poor widow has put in more. And so Jesus had a lot to say about giving. The reality is, is that there's something about possessions in this world. There's something about money and riches, man, that just starts to wrap around our hearts and, and cause us to be inwardly uh, greedy and, and inwardly trying to hold on to all the things we have and, and build our identity and our security off the things we can buy and the things that, that, that we can grab a hold of. And if we're honest, all of our hearts are susceptible. Now, I thank God as I've been around this church for over the past 16 years, man, I'll tell you what, church, I have learned a ton 
from you about generosity. This is a church that throughout the years has given, has given to our community, has given to one another in so many ways. And, and even now, man, I, I still, uh, there, are, there are folks, um, you know, living on fixed incomes and they're just generous with uh, their, their money in ways that just honestly amaze me. Generous. And some, some are, the, they don't have because we talk about time, talent, treasure, right, as well uh, as living with generosity in those areas. Man, and I have been, uh, cakes have been baked for me and my family. People, uh, uh, just last week, somebody gave my kids some some gifts. I mean, I, I just see the generosity, and I have learned from your generosity, and I've been a recipient of it, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say as your pastor that you excel at the gift of giving. But I also know that there's some of us here who are still learning that, right, who are still, man, getting freed up from the shackles of greed and and you know what, man, my, my identity is tied to the, the amount that I make or the things that I buy or the type of clothing that I have or the car that I drive or the neighborhood that I might live in. And so how do we uh, navigate this? I want to give you three quick things here. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper after the sermon as well today. Uh, three quick things here about what should I know about giving. You can write them down if you like. I'm not saying you got to write notes to get into heaven. I'm just saying why take the chance? <laughs> That's a joke. If you're new here, it's a joke. Just kidding. Uh, number one, giving is more important than receiving. Giving is more important than receiving. You know, when I was a kid and birthday time, Christmas time came, and it was all about me, right? It was all about, man, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? And I got my list, and I'm thinking about all my things. But, you know, as I've grown and got more mature, you know what I think about now? Man, what can I give? And there's something about feeling and knowing, man, what, it, what it's like to now give and see the joy in somebody else's life. Knowing that I'm content with what I have and now I can give to others is, is a deeper and higher level joy. My kids were at a Bible camp this week. Um, and, uh, and at their Bible camp, they were doing an offering, all this sort of stuff. But they also had like, they got points. So they got points for uh, doing their, they had like Bible homework they had to do scriptures they had to write down and, and all that sort of stuff. And if they brought this sort of stuff, they, they got all these points, and then they could trade in their points for, like, something at the end of the week. Uh, one of my kids got a Lego thing. I don't remember what else they got. Um, so there was this whole point system that they were working on. But the older kids, they, they kind of switched it on the older group of kids. They said, hey, you guys are going to earn points, but not for yourselves. You're going to earn points to give to the needy, and we're going to do this big food drive. And so the more points you guys get, the more canned goods and food we're going to give away to the needy. And one of my kids, who will remain nameless, was like, man, I, why are they doing that? I, I, I see the stuff, I see the camp store, and I kind of want to get one of those things. And, uh, and so we had to have this conversation about, hey, you know, when, when you're younger, um, man, that's the kind of stuff you're into. But, but as you get older, it feels better to give than it does receive. And so for someone that age, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow. And, um, and I was glad that somebody else uh, did that and, and, and took that parenting load off of me. And I, now I had to have the harder conversation to say, all right, we're going to stick to this. And no, I'm not going to buy you anything either. Um, but uh, so it's giving is more important than receiving. Look, look at verse 2 in Matthew chapter 6. That's, we're going to be camped out. Verse 2, right? Notice that, that giving is really the expectation. It says, thus... When you, what? Give. When you give. Not 
if you give. So the expectation upon the believer is that we are living with a generous heart and giving is a regular practice that we do when you give to the needy, when you do it. And then, of course, in Acts 20, verse 35, it, it says this is the, the, the saying that comes from that it's better to give than receive. In Acts 20, 35, it said, the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so mature people know this. Point number two is this. Motive is more important than money. Motive is more important than money. Because God is always getting at our hearts. Because let's be honest. Does God need any of our money? He doesn't. What is he going to do with your money? He laughs at our money. Ha, you think you made a lot? Wow, that's impressive. Right? He laughs at our money. You're not giving God anything. He's trying to work on our hearts to free them. And so motive is more important than money. And so what is our motive when it comes to giving? And, and if you look again at verses 1 and 2, verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And then here's the motive, right? You see the motive? In order, that's the purpose of their acts of righteousness, in order to be seen by them. You know how it is. We kind of want to be recognized. We kind of want to be patted on the back. Hey, you did such a good job. You know, you're, you're such a kind person. And the problem is, is, is not that it feels good to get a compliment. The problem is that we start to live and, and breathe off of pleasing other people instead of pleasing the Creator. And we care more about the opinion of, of some other person, and we're trying to impress them. We're trying to, it's a stroke on our pride and our ego. So he says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no, what? Trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be, and again, here's their motive, that they, that's their purpose, that they may be what? Praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. These Pharisees and the religious people, they would sound the trumpet. Now, typically when they sounded the trumpet uh, back in, in those times at the synagogue, it was, it was to get all the town's attention. There was an emergency. Hey, guys, big storm coming in. Right? And, and everybody take shelter. Or mail call. Like, you know, it was something important. But these guys were blowing the trumpets so they could show how much they were giving. David Carney, I don't know if we got a song in the back, but I just imagined if, if, if when we passed the offering plate, like this is uh, the music that, that we thought about playing, and um, I'm going to wait for those guys to get it here as we think about passing the offering plate, right? And what if we did this like when the offering came? You guys know the song? I'm going to wait for it. Right? It's like, no! Sydney Mackey is going to put her offering in the plate. Everybody look at her. You know, it's like, now Caleb's going to give some, right? All right, we can cut that. And that's we're just going to do my whole sermon like that. And, um, and that seems so crazy and it seems so obnoxious. But let's just be honest for a second, right? Some of us, when the plate comes, we have given just because the person next to us won't think we're a cheapskate. Right? You're like, oh, everybody else, yeah, I, 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 better, I better flip through here real quick and throw something in, right? And our motive is so that I won't look bad in front of somebody else. I know I'm being real. It's okay. Everybody in this room has felt that before. 
you're in good company. We're all made out of the same stuff. And God is saying, I want to take your motive higher. I want you to be concerned, not with the other people around you, but I want you to be concerned with what your father who made you thinks and what he's called you to do. The reason why he's asked you to do this is to pull your heart away from the chains and the shackles of, of greed and these things that will possess us. And so motive is more important than money. Number three, secrecy is more important than the amount. Secrecy is more important than the amount. Now, this doesn't mean that all giving must be done in secret. Sometimes it's impossible to do that. And so I'm not saying it's wrong for you to put money in the plate and other people see it. That's not what it's saying here. But for the most part, we need to guard against that, right? Because anytime we do it in public, there is that opportunity for pride to rise up in our hearts and be like, yep, I am a pretty generous person. Pastor, I'm praying for all those other people at church that didn't put as much as me. And it, it just kind of lurks there. And so secrecy is more important than amount. Look at verses 3 through 4. But again, when, not if, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and if you're not familiar with church, you may have heard a lot of these phrases before. That's where they come. They come from the scripture. Not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in what? Secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so secrecy is more important than the amount. And so we have kind of a basic framework here. Now, here's the second point. We're going to go on to the next set of verses in verse 19. But here's the question is, how, how do we live then? How do we live? Point number, this is like a second, it's not a second sermon, uh, so that's okay. But it's just sort of a second idea. How should we live? Number one, spend. Spend in a way that shows that Jesus is my treasure. Spend in a way that shows Jesus is my treasure, that he is my joy, that, that he is the greatest possession that I have. To have Jesus is to have enough because the world could offer me all these other things and they really won't last. They really will fade. How many of you know that? Did you know that, that sociologists have tracked that when people make big purchases, they feel depressed afterwards? It seems counterintuitive, right? There is an emotional high after you get something. Oh, I got something new. Amazon's coming. Two-day shipping. One-day shipping. I'm going to got Amazon uh, now, and it's coming in a couple hours. Right? There's a little high that goes on there, right? And then you get it, and then it's like it doesn't fit right, or whatever. You go to Hanes. You get some new, some new furniture, and then before you know it, it's got a scuff. The kids spilled juice on it, right? And you're like, ah, I can't believe you spilled that on my new couch, right? And that's, that's revealing what's going on in our hearts, and the new car gets a scratch in it, you put the new shirt in the dryer, and it shrinks up, right? And, and, and they can track, there's this high, and then there's this low, there's this depressed, and then you know what that creates? That's how we get into uh, spending addictions, right? Because I'm low now, I gotta find something else. And then I, and, and then I get in this sick cycle, and we, and we often point our fingers at all kinds of other addicts but there are many shopping addicts, and that's the same kind of stuff that lurks in all of our hearts. And so we've got to be careful about that. So spend in a way that shows Jesus is my treasure. If you track down to verse 19 uh, in Matthew 6, it says this, Do not, 
do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures where? On earth. And then he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break into steel. He's reminding us, these things will fade, the newness will wear off, and they won't satisfy you. That's why you don't store up treasures there. Because these things won't last. I'm giving you something greater. Do not store up. Do not lay up treasures there. And then if you jump over to verse 21, because he says, For where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be. God is always after the heart. And a lot of times he has to kind of peel the treasures away from us that are subpar, that are lesser things than what God, the true joy God is offering to us. As the writer C.S. Lewis said, he said, we human beings fool around with drink and sex and material possessions, and we can't even fathom the eternal pleasures that God offers us, the eternal joy. And he says this, it's kind of like a kid in the middle of a city playing in a, in a little mud puddle because he can't imagine what a vacation at the ocean or in Hawaii would be like, so he's content to play in his little puddle. God is offering us something so much greater, namely himself in a relationship with him. So spend in a way. So here's, here's the, the, the word here. Let's, let's hang out on, on verse 19, if you will, David. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. How do we do that? It's by the way we spend. And so how do you spend? Is the way you're spending, the things you're buying, is could it be said that, man, you're trying to pursue those things as treasures? Just think about that for a second. Right? And in and, and verse 24, if you look at verse 24, he says, you cannot serve, you cannot serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. How does one serve money, right? Is it like money? It's like got a little mouth on the bill and is like, hey, I'll go do this, you know, go to Walmart. Right? How does somebody serve money? Money is not walking around telling us what to do. But we end up serving and becoming a servant of money by, by believing that, see, I, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. You know I don't have a jet, right? This, this, I, I only got printer paper in my pockets. And I got five kids. And so, you know, um, they got all my money. But pretend this is money, you know, and by believing that this money can can buy me something, can 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 bring me a treasure that will ultimately satisfy the cravings that exist deep in the chasm of my heart. And he's saying, so spend in a way, the things you buy, spend in a way that shows Jesus is your treasure. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. There's a quote, we'll put it on the screen. He says, Possessions are not God's blessings and goodness, as some might teach, like, oh, if you're rich, God must be blessing you. But possessions are opportunities of service which God entrusts to us. Possessions are opportunities of service to which God entrusts to us. And so, how do you handle your possessions and the things you're spending? Last week, I confessed about a little goggle issue I had, right? Because we were trying to share our kids' goggles with another set of kids. And there was some greed in my heart that God was like dealing with me about, right? And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Do I live with an open hand with my possessions? That's what we're called to be as believers. That's how we're called to live. 
What you invest in shows what you're interested in, shows what's important to me. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if your treasure, if your mind is always thinking about what can I spend in one of my possessions, can I get a new outfit? Do I need a new phone? Can I get a bigger TV? Can I get a new car, a new house? I know. And, and instead of thinking about the greater things, he's saying, you're revealing that's your treasure. I need to remind you, maybe this is a, a good point to remind you, that the reason we do this is to demonstrate God is our treasure, but also because our world is, is plunged into deep need. And we, especially as Americans, find ourselves in the richest at least 1% of the entire world. And as Americans, we have a hard time remembering, remembering that we live with such lavishness that the rest of the world... So can I just remind you that 80%, 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day. 80% of the rest of the world. Half of the world, that's over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. My kids are like millionaires compared to half of the world. And young people who are here with me, the, the, the sociologists and the pollsters are coming out talking about the current generation is the richest and perhaps the most selfish generation ever because they're bombarded by uh, ads, they're bombarded by stuff on all their devices. Let it be said of the young people of Plaza say, forget you pollsters, you won't peg me, I will be different because I love Jesus. And so, young people, I'm giving you permission to rebel against what the rest of society is saying, rebel against the rest of the generation that is saying it's all about me and say it's going to be about God's glory, it's going to be about helping a world in need where over half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. And then over 1.3 billion people live in extreme poverty, and that would be at $1.25 a day. 1.3 billion people. 22,000 children die a day from poverty-related illnesses, such as inadequate food or water. 22,000 children a day. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is huge, and God has called us as Christians on mission to be about missions of mercy and love and spreading his fame and his generosity all around us. 22,000 children die a day from poverty. 750 million people, 750 million people live without access to clean water. My kids are arguing about whether they got bye-bye water or or. Uh, sparkly water or Gatorade. we got a billion different water options and 750 million people have zero access to clean water. Now I know when any when time a person, a TV thing throws out statistics like that, it's easy to be like, well, that is a huge problem. I agree, but there's nothing I can really do about it. But poverty-related illnesses are so easy to solve. I'm not talking about healing cancer, right? We're talking about using our generosity, using the income, instead of constantly getting the upgrade and more and bigger and constantly getting 10 more shirts and 10 more pair of pants and, and I only wear three of them, and constantly getting a new pair of shoes and another car and a bigger house and more and more and more, and we, we could send some money overseas and eliminate much of this now. Not, not in 10 years when we finally figure out the research, 
We've got clean water access now. It's not people funding it. Some of the polls said that people who claim this was in 2003, according to Barna, 2003, which is a long time ago, maybe worse now perhaps, that the average born-again Christian, someone who says, I'm a born-again believer, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am sold out to Jesus, gave about $600 a year to their church. $600 a year. If that's a tithe, that means that they would make in America $6,000. And how many of us know very few Americans are making $6,000 a year? We are making way more than that. And we are cheating God and robbing the people who could benefit from our generosity because we're tied up in all these other things. And we're missing out. And the rest of the world is hurting. And so may it not be said of the folks of Plaza that we don't have generous hearts. Let's get ourselves free. Amen? And so spend. Spend in a way that shows Jesus is my treasure. And finally, give. Give in a way that shows Jesus is my treasure. So the things I'm spending, I'm rejecting the need for more and bigger and blah, blah, blah. And instead of more toys, more furniture, more security, more comfort, more lake stuff, more more computers, uh, another upgrade, more money. I'm, I'm rejecting how I spend that stuff. I'm going to get a hold of my spending. So now I'm going to be giving in a way that shows that Jesus is my treasure. So look at the next set of verses there, verse 20. So verse 19 was, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then verse 20 says, but, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. And then the opposite is true. There where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is the most secure investment you could ever make. And verse 21, again, reminds us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the question. What does it mean to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Ask yourself this question. Do I do this? Do I lay up for myself treasures in heaven? Did I do that today? Did I do it yesterday? I think most of us are probably like, Pastor, I'm not even sure what behaviors qualify. Right? If we're just honest. I'm not sure what behaviors qualify for laying up treasures in heaven. What... What does that mean? It seems like such a simple verse. Jesus could speak with such profound simplicity, but yet with such depth. How do I lay up treasures in heaven? It's really this. Do I live with a generous heart and do I give to others? That's really the key point of it. If you turn over to the book of Luke, we'll put it on the screen there. He explains it. I think if we look at another passage here in Luke 12, uh, starting in verse 16 says this, he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Notice the word there, plentifully. Sounds like us in America. We have plenty. And he thought to himself, what shall I do with all this plenty, right? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there will I store all my grain and my goods. And then look at this, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
Then verse 21. So it is the one who, watch this, lays up treasure for himself. So we have again that lays up treasure for himself or on earth. And then here's the opposite, which would be laying up treasure in heaven and is not rich towards God. And so we see this parable here illustrated. By the way, this is not a pronouncement against saving for retirement or anything like that or, or wealth planning your future. In fact, we could look at many other Bible verses that talk about using that wisdom. But the problem is that he's saying, I got plenty, so I need plenty more. Nothing wrong with making money. In fact, money in and of itself is not evil. So, Pastor, well, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? No, it says the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so we have to be careful to that love. And how do you, what is the antidote to greed? What, what is the thing that prevents us from loving money to make sure money is not my master? You know what it is? Generosity, giving. That's the antidote. And every time we practice giving, it's like taking a dose of medicine saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm working out this, this love of money that's in my heart. It's the cure for materialism, and it's the only antidote. Many of us think, I'm not that materialist. I'm not as materialist as some people I work with. Gee whiz, pastor, lay off. We're not comparing ourselves to others. We're comparing ourselves to God and an extremely generous God. And another few verses over in that same chapter of Luke, he goes on to say this in verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. Notice that it brings God pleasure to give. In fact, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. It brings him good pleasure to give. So it is to bring us good pleasure to give. But notice what God has given us. It says, fear not, little flock, for it, it brings your Father good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom, that's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about, is that we get sinful, rebellious, untrustworthy people. God bankrupts heaven and gives us the whole kingdom. That we blow it most of the time, but he says, I love you, I trust you, I know that I'm, I'm changing into the person you're really supposed to be, and I know that greed's no longer going to have a hold on you, and I'm helping you work through that. I'm putting you through my training program. I'm putting you through boot camp because I know that you got it in you to make a difference in this world and to be my child and reflect my glory. So i gotta, I got to help you with this. And it's by giving that you do this. But can we just pause for a second to realize that God has given us the kingdom? He didn't give us like a cloud. He didn't just give us like something little. God is generous, so generous with us. I heard another pastor tell a story about buying his kids some French fries from McDonald's, right? Buys his kids some French fries. And then he says, hey, can I have a few of those? And the kid is like, no, these are my fries. And he said, you know, I was struck by a number of thoughts at that time, at least three thoughts. Number one, this child does not realize I am the source of all fries. I drove him there. I paid for the fries. I walked in there. I got the fries. I held the carton, and I gave him those fries. I am the source of all fries. I paid for those fries, and he has no clue. He doesn't know I'm the source. He said, secondly, then, 
My child doesn't realize I could take away all those fries if I wanted to. Oh, I can't have any fries? Give it to me. That's not how I would do it or anything like that. I could take away all those fries if I wanted to because I gave them to him. How crazy for him to say, no, I'm not going to share any of my fries with you. It's ludicrous, right? We understand this. But the other side of the equation is, not only could I take away all those fries, I could buy a truckload of fries. I could buy every fry in that store and dump it into the back of my minivan and surround him in fries. And he forgets that. He forgot I was totally in charge. And thirdly, he didn't realize I didn't need his fries. I could buy my own fries. I could biggie size my fries and eat them in his face and just dribble them all down my, my shirt. I don't need his fries. But what I'm trying to teach my son is I want you to learn unselfishness. I want you to have a heart that is free. And how true is it us that God is saying to us, I want you to be free, my child. I want you to realize I don't need your money, but I want your heart and I want you to live in the full life that God designed for you. Not strapped under the burden of debt and greed and everything else didn't realize that he had loaned us, God has loaned us everything that we have, and he wants us to steward it correctly. And so, how is your generosity? How are you doing at laying up treasures in heaven? This week, think about that for a second. How's it going? And as we get ready to observe the Lord's Supper, in fact, I'm asking the men if they would come and make the Lord's table ready. And as they're preparing this, I just want you to think about a few things. I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to pause to remember that God gave us the kingdom. And namely, he gave up the most priceless treasure, the most infinitely valuable treasure in the entire universe. What is more precious? What is more priceless than Jesus Christ? Can you think of something? I can't think of anything. And, and God didn't just send a substandard person for us. He sent his one and only son. I have four girls, and I have one and only son. Do you think, man, I would trade my son for you guys? Man, my, my child, my son. And God gave his son up for you, and so... We are here at the Lord's Supper, and we're going to pause during these moments to, to celebrate the infinitely valuable blood and body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us on the cross and was poured out so that God could have our hearts back in a relationship with Him. We serve a generous God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right, that He gave. And so, folks, when we're talking about giving, we're talking about becoming more like we were originally created to be. Jesus was the only normal human being. And he said, man, sin has marred us. It's, it's, like, it's like you got computer code and a virus gets in. You know what I'm talking about? And then you can't do anything on your computer and you're punching it and ready to throw it out. There's a virus infected all human beings called sin. And Jesus has the right code. He is the antivirus. And he's the only one that can rewrite that code. 
from each of us. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, here's how it's going to work. Um, in just a few moments, the trays will pass in front of you and uh, grab cracker and some juice and then hold it to the end until we're all able to observe it together. If you're here just joining us and visiting with us, you're from a different church, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're saying, I'm a Christian, then you're, please observe the Lord's Supper along with us. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what denomination you're from.